Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. With us today is social worker, addiction counselor, teacher, and much more, Shia Sussman. Shia, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you guys. That's quite the introduction. To start off, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. How far back do I go? Is it the origin story of the birth or is it to go <laughs> past that? We want like a DC origin story, not a Marvel origin story. <laughs> Born and raised originally from Staten Island. I went to Kushner for high school. I've never been so proud since we got our guy in the White House. We had Jared in the White House for some time. So before I wasn't so proud, then I became proud. I was like, yeah, we got our guy there. And then after I lived in Far Rockaway in the five towns for many years, in between, I was in Arachisaral, lived in Far Rockaway five towns for a bunch of years, and we were living in Inwood. Me and my family, we have five kids. For the last 11 years, last 11, 12 years, we were in the five towns. And as of four months ago, I believe, maybe a little more at this point, uh, we made Aliyah. So we're in Ramat Beit Shemesh, living up the Holy Land. And uh, I love living here. It's amazing. I don't know what else to say. So just tell us a little bit of how you got into uh, social work and how you got into your practice and everything. Okay, cool. I'll tell you, I, funny, I haven't really shared this publicly, but I'll take the opportunity to share it with you guys. I grew up in Staten Island. My parents did something very, very unusual. They took in homeless people. So tons of homeless people in my house. I would come home one day and there was like a 400 pound naked fat man sleeping in my bed. I wish I could tell you that was a joke. Hey, uh, there was, <laughs> there was a woman, I would walk into a room and she, she had real paranoid skits. She'd be like, like, just like lurking. And that's how I grew up. And I didn't think much of it growing up. You know, when you grow up in something like you just kind of think it's normal. Like you don't realize until you get older, like, okay, that's a little crazy. And then what happened was is I wasn't actually planning on being a social worker or anything like that. Right when I was first married, I was living in Eritrea. We lived here for three and a half years, which was the impetus for us to come back because we had lived here already. And I actually had a Rebbe at that time. I didn't have much life direction. I had actually had, had finished a first master's degree in education. And at that point I was learning Sanifa and, uh, but I still didn't really have much direction in life. And I had a Rebbe of mine, uh, his name is Yoravio Rakovsky. He's a Rebbe in the old city in the Tivarie. And uh, it was really weird. It was like Rebbe he, I wasn't particularly close with him, but he gave a shear in the park in Ramadish Bowl. And I used to go, and what was the shear? I don't know, he used to say, if you are up with him, dance around, he said something, we danced around again. And I was like, and he called me to his house one night and he's like, Shai, I have a great idea for you. He's like, you should move back to the States and become a social worker. And this hit me so strongly. Like I had never discussed it with him. This was like one of the life changing things in my life. And all the things that I had thought to do with myself, that was not even on the radar. And it hit me so strong, realizing like, oh, I was, I was raised with this. Like, I know what it looks like. Like I know what mental illness looks like and what mental health looks like. And it, it was just ringing so true to me. And he said, you, you should work with addictions actually, which is what a lot of what I do is not exclusively, but a lot. And it was just like, like the bell goes off, like the penny drops. I was like the penny drop. And I was like, oh yeah, that's what I should do. And that's what I did. And then he's like, he'll move back one day, whatever. I'm not really in touch with him anymore. That's the truth. I know, I know he knows that I moved back, but that was like, that was, that was it, really. I love it. Like, I'll tell you, and I know, Chaim, uh, that's your Chaim, right? Chaim, I know you're going in. I love it. Like, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Like, it's so rewarding. You could use all the facets of your personality, your creativity, your insight, your way of being, and it's very meaningful. 
So like, I feel blessed like to be doing like what I love doing. So So you mentioned that your parents would take in homeless people. What was that like growing up and just like coming into your house? And as you said, seeing a 400 pound naked man on your bed, like what was that yeah. like for you? We had a woman who filled up a room. She was a hoarder. And at the time when I was younger, I mean, it is a little bit comical, you know, but I don't want to make light of their suffering either. I mean, it was, we had a woman who's a hoarder. She filled up a room. Now that I'm older, I realize like it's crazy. Like not like totally crazy. When I was younger, I, again, I didn't, I didn't think much of it. I was like, all right, I'll sleep on, sleep on whatever. Like it didn't. It didn't really hit me so strongly, but uh, I'll tell you an interesting thought on this. It's like, sometimes a person looks at trauma and they look at it as disruptive. Like here you were, you were yourself and now something disrupted yourself and you spend your whole life finding your way back to yourself. But I think there's a deeper way to look at it, which is like, this is, these are the events that gave birth to life means these are, these were the events in my life that like allowed me to form myself. They, they, they weren't. It was a constitutive thing. It wasn't destructive or interruptive in that sense. Like, I feel like at this point in my life, like it was something that like, it, it was concealment for the sake of revealing, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't something that I feel, I feel like it was a bracha because like I learned so like, it just developed me and like, I'm still growing from it. It wasn't just like disruptive and I'd say you're done. It was the very thing itself, which was allowed to reveal my, my essence to reveal myself, to gain insight, gain wisdom, all that jazz. Yeah. That is a very healthy way of looking at things. Instead of this whole orientation of like, oh, things messed up my way of being that like gives a whole orientation of counterproductiveness. Let's not do things because it's all messed up. But when you look at it in a way of like, these are scenarios that happen in my life that allows me to grow and allows me like I could take advantage of it. It's a whole perspective shift on on life, on humanity, and on the self. I wanted to ask you a question. You said before that, we spoke about this before, about how you find yourself personally in your work as a therapist, that it's not just textbook, but rather you allow your own personal creativity to manifest itself into your work. So how does that look like? And how did you even get there in the first place? Okay, yeah. I guess everything's a story. I went to social work school. And I learned all sorts of stuff there. And like everything in life, there's certain things that pop with you, certain things that resonate more with you and certain things going on, doesn't speak to me. And I think each person in their own way is really reflecting upon their own experience, thinking like, eh, is that helpful? How helpful is not so helpful? And people are trying to make sense out of all the things that they're learning. And even every book, you know, there's so many books, like trying to figure it out. Everyone's trying to find their own way. And I was no different, no different than, still no different than anyone else. And and basically, like I graduated school and I was practicing. I had the great opportunity for a bunch of years to work at the Jewish board in Flatbush, which is like on Coney and Quentin over there in their clinic. And that was really such a, a great time. I, it was like so much learning for me, like unbelievable. And I, but at the same time, I felt like a very big sense of resolve. I felt very, a little bit sad because like, you know, I was very uh, altruistic and I wanted to help people and I'm sitting in session with people and like, I felt like really doing over here and like is this really so helpful and like I, I felt like a little bit sad because I, I I didn't feel that I was able to help people in the way that I really wanted to like I didn't have that vision and so I was practicing with people and I was doing and then I came across like this understanding we were talking about called the innate health before the recording for all those of you listening before the recording we're talking about innate health and 
it was very interesting. It was very opening for me because it allowed my mind to settle very, very much. And it was just kind of like, what I learned was like a, just a way of being like so much and it could be because I was very inexperienced, but like, I find like, was so much wrapped up in my head in session. Like I think this way and that, what's the textbook say? Like, what do I do? And I was just like, always searching to figure out like, what is therapy? Like this thing that we call therapy, like, what is it? Like, how do you help someone? Like, what's my role in it? And I still think about these things a lot, to be honest. But what I realized, what I've come to understand is that like, we're all whole. Like I'm whole, you're whole. We're all gifted with resilience. We're all gifted with well-being and relating to people from that place. So I was saying before, like with my kids, if I think they're essentially flawed, so it's on me to teach them everything and manage them, maybe even manipulate them at times and, and really be strong on them and the little, little rugrats. And you, your patience wanes, your, the way you look at them, your whole paradigm around them, your way of being around them. Your, the way you discipline them, the way you talk with them, your nonverbal cues, your emotional level, your, your willingness to bond with them, all that hinges on whether you think they're essentially whole or essentially flawed. And I, I think at least that holds true for any relationship. So if you relate to a, a person from a belief that they're intrinsically flawed, how many people think I'm not normal? I'm not normal. At the, at the bottom, 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 you get through everything, 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 you know, what's at the bottom? I'm not normal. Something's wrong with me. I'm broke. You, know, you get past everything. Bedrock is a sense. I'm broken. I'm not normal. Why am I feeling this way? What's wrong with me? And from that disposition, a person relates to themselves. So now I can't go forward. Everything becomes so much harder. What I've come to understand is that we're all whole. We're all essentially well. And there's so much implications to that. But when you relate to someone from that disposition beyond the technique, like really seeing it, you know, and I'm like, okay, now I'm going to think they're okay. But really realizing that and understanding that in a penetrative way for yourself. So it shifts the work with clients. It shifted my work with clients because it's not like, you know, I like to talk about mental health versus mental illness. Is it mental health or is it mental illness? Like what's, what's putting the health back into the mental health. And we all know you get more of what you look at. We all know you focus on the black dot, all you see is the black dot. And it's not to ignore it. It doesn't mean don't talk about it. It doesn't mean any of that. But when a person's innately well, when you see that, so just it, it switches it because you're not now relating to them from a place of disadvantage. You're relating to them from a place of advantage. Or if you see that about yourself, it's, it's no longer I'm miserable just once in a while. I happen to feel good. It's I'm well. I'm innately whole, have a gift of well-being, resilience, a neshama, a mind. It all means the same thing. Consciousness, awareness, it's literally the same word for the same, to try to describe the same phenomenon. When you see that, we're gifted with it. So it's not like 8 billion people on earth minus one, you. Like, you're not, you're not an exception to the rule. We all have it. And you're able to see like, okay, I get bent out of shape, but I could handle it. I could be okay with not being okay. I don't have to fix my kids. They're fine the way they are. Like our entire educational system is based on that. Like the kids would know nothing if not for us teaching them. Like what if your kids had everything in life to make it through life, regardless of gift? It would shift your disposition around them. It would shift your feeling level, the way you think about them, the way you interact with them. And, and I'm just picking on kids, but it's like that for, for any relationship, for anyone you meet. Yeah, absolutely. So how does your own personal creativity jump into that? Because a quiet mind equals creativity. So like when you're sitting with someone and you're ramped up the volume in your head, 
because you got to fix this and you got to, there's no room. Your wisdom pipes are plugged up. Your wisdom pipes are plugged up. So there's no room for your own personality. There's no room for your way of being. So I was saying before the recording that if I have 50 minutes to sit with someone, I got no place to go. Like I relax. Like I find it, it feels to me like a flow state. Like some people call that coming home or being in the zone or, you know, whatever it is, it's just relaxing. And now you're sitting with someone so you could deeply listen better. You could empathize better. You can, again, not as a technique, but just as a way of being. It's just, it's just a matter of fact. It's not like, now I got to empathize with that. Turn out the empathize thing. You know, it's just, there's, there's so much robotics that people are doing and they're missing uh, their inner wisdom. They're missing the last place they will look is within. Yeah. Like, it's side by self. What about it's a cosmic joke? Like, uh, Hashem put everything, the last place you look is at your own self. As I call it, like you're missing that humanity part of the connection that you have with someone. Yeah. It's actually funny. I was talking to a friend last night and he was like, over the past couple of months, you've seemed to be way more relaxed than usual, less tense, less anxious. Like what happened? I told him that a few months ago, I started realizing that no matter what situation I was in, I'd be thinking of the future. I'd be like, oh, if I'm out with a friend in an hour, I have to do this and this. And the whole entire time with my friend, I'm just sitting there thinking, oh my God, in an hour, I'm going to have to get all this work done. How I, I want to stay here. I want to do At one point. I just woke up and I'm like, why, why am I doing that? Why am I like stressing about the future in the current moment? I'm in the now. And if there's nothing I could do about it, why am I worrying? If I can't do anything now, why worry about it now? I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's that realization is going to really go far for you. Like that's really going to. It definitely will. It definitely will. You all get caught up in the illusion of life. We all get caught up in the nonsense of life, the details. But when you see your well and the more insights you have around this, so it's like, uh, you know, you come back to yourself. I get crazy. Like, who doesn't get crazy? I, I get snappy. I get moody. I get anxious. I get nervous. But it doesn't bother me so much. I'm not so disturbed by it. You know, I get crazy thoughts. One might argue I get crazier than other people. <laughs> but... But it, I'm not disturbed by it. There, there's a quote from a man named Sidney Banks, someone I like to listen to, and he would say, if people are not to be scared of their own experience, that alone would change the world. I always say all feelings welcome. Like if you're innately well, so you can have any feeling. Yeah. You, can, you can feel whatever you want. And like, but we freak ourselves out. I also realized that some people put this label on them. Like I am anxious. I have anxiety. I have this. And they sort of surrender to this label. I, I am depressed, you know, like, and if that is your core belief about yourself, that it's like what's under everything, then you sort of surrender to something that is counterproductive. It's not necessarily who you are, or what you are. It's something that you have that's external to you. And I'll give an example. As a kid, I stuttered a lot. And, you know, I'm talking now. I got so over you're it. You're a podcast host. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, it could be that I'm sort of like trying to correct my childhood by talking a lot now, you know, but um, I moved to Israel when I was 14. My parents made Aliyah then and my entire childhood, I stuttered. I couldn't say my name. I couldn't say thank you. I couldn't say anything. When I came to Israel, I decided I'm going to not stutter anymore. I am Mati that doesn't stutter. And the moment I remove that label that I am a stutterer from, I am not a stutterer anymore, that allowed the possibility for me to start to work for it. And as a child, I remember I went to therapy, I went to speech therapy, I went to a lot of things to deal with my stutter, but I never got anywhere because I always had this label, I am Mati, that stutters. The moment I remove that, it like I've been thinking a lot about this lately because it just come up in so many different places. And I started speaking to kids and yeshivas about these things and about mental health. And 
I started going back to my own experiences in yeshiva. I'm like, wait, how did I do that? And you get these like little epiphanies of the past. But I realized that you know, people come up to me, uh, they text me on Instagram, like, listen, I have to talk to you. I'm not doing well. I need help. Like, oh, okay, what's up? And they start telling me, oh, um, I'm depressed. I have anxiety. I have this. I was diagnosed by four therapists. And I'm like, okay, so what are we going to do about it? No, like, no, that's that's who I am. I am depressed. I am this. I'm like, no. And I, I realized a lot of people, they just surrender to all these labels and diagnoses. What do you have to say about it? Yeah, yeah, you're right what you're saying. And it's unfortunate because... First, I love the, st- the, 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 the story you shared. You know, you had a belief about yourself that you were able to shed. And until you were able to see that, it, it held weight on you. That's the damage. The damage was the belief that you had, that you held on yourself. Like, imagine like, uh, imagine this cup had power over you. So that belief, you're relating to the belief as if it's something outside yourself and it's holding you down until you were able to see. Diagnosing, and this is my understanding of it, and originally, okay, Talking back, I don't know how many years ago, psychologists, they were observing people with symptoms, shared symptoms, sweaty palms, racing heart, tension in the back, and a certain reporting, a certain feeling. And the psychologist, psychiatrist, whoever, they said, we have to come up with a shared language to call this something. We're going to call someone who presents with these systems, we're going to call this, we're going to diagnose this as anxiety. We're going to call this anxiety because we're observing this thing and we need a shared language to talk about what it is. So everyone knows. And then what happened is over time, it became, oh, the reason why I feel this way is because I have anxiety, right? Now the label is what causes the feeling. We all know a label doesn't cause a feeling. What causes anxiety is dis-ease, disease. Chronic stressful thinking will make anyone anxious. If you're pouring that through your system, you're going to feel anxious. But instead it became, oh, like you're saying, they relate to the label and they went outside in about instead of being inside out about instead of seeing that stress and anxiety comes from a certain stressful thing, a way of thinking, a belief. And then they said, oh, the reason why you feel that way is because you have anxiety NOS, non-specified. You have the, oh, the reason why you feel that way is because you have depression. What, what, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. The label causes the feelings. You have depression. That's why you feel that way. But that's not really what, what the point of it was. That's not. So then a person holds the label on themselves. So now you have to shape that label. That's you relate to it as if this is your essential self, but it's not your essential self at all. So instead of using it as like a shared language, like what was it originally intended for, as far as I understand, it became a thing like what came first, the feeling or the label, right? Then you're beholden to that becomes very destructive. Yeah. I spoke to a therapist about this recently and he said the only reason why a psychiatrist would diagnose someone is to understand how to treat them, not to like, leave them with a label and that's it. And yeah, that's the whole purpose of diagnosing. Yeah. I think the better ones out there understand that. Also, I, I think I read this book. It was from a long time ago. I, I, I remember the title of the article. I don't remember the author because maybe Urban Yalom or something like that. You were like, diagnosing is good for insurance. I think that was the title. That was the title of the thing. You know, diagnosing is good dot, 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 for insurance. So I think, I, I think, I think people understand that, but it's important that everyone understands this, you know? We're not in our thoughts and our feelings. That's not who we are. We're something much deeper. We're, we're, we're not a label. It's not who we are. You know, it's a snapshot of you in the lowest state. And sometimes that state might be a while until it, until it rises. But yeah, it's, it's powerful. I think it's powerful, at least. Yeah. Actually, funny because if anyone listened to my Nishama's podcast that I was featured on with Maishi Khanin, it was called, it was titled The Boy Who Never Smiled. That was really my whole entire childhood. I was always the boy who never smiled. And I kind of made it my persona. 
Like no matter what I did, no matter if you said a joke, I would always keep a straight face. I was very unhappy. And that was just like my coping mechanism. I would be so serious all the time. And like, even in my head, like when people say jokes, I'd be like, why? And it took up to a certain point where I had to like get over this label. Like my mom actually created the label because I really never smiled. And she was just like, you never smile. And everyone was telling me like, you never smile. So I became the boy who never smiled. And I think that it made it worse when people would be like, oh, you never smile. I would just sit there and be like, that's just me. I, I remember I had this one kid who came to me and I was working so hard on engaging him, like just so he should be engaged. And what I do, I did a handstand for him in my office. Literally, it got in my head, took my shoes off, went totally upside down. And then he started to laugh. He started to laugh. And it was, it, it was trying, I was trying everything, everything. I'm like, what do I got to do? A handstand? I'm like, if I do a handstand, you'll smile. I had this like time where I was just really unhappy. I was 17. I was going through a lot. I was just becoming religious. There was so much anxiety and stress that was there in figuring myself out. And one day I just averted back to my old self where I just did not smile. I was unhappy. And I went to my mentor and I was talking to him and he sat me down on a mountain and he said, roll down. And I said, no. And he's like, roll down. And we had like a 10 minute argument. My friend came, took a video. I saw the video of me rolling down this mountain. At the end, you just see the biggest smile. It's just like, I was so unhappy that whole morning. I was so anxious. I was pissed off. I smiled at the end of rolling down that mountain. It's amazing. That's a million dollars. That's amazing. And your mentor, I don't know who he is, but he gave you perfect advice. Zalmi Roxon. He's actually featured recently on our podcast. I mean, that's perfect. Rabbi Nachman used to speak about acting silly, like just get out of yourself, roll down the mountain with my kids at really silly. It's like we lose our simplicity for life, our, our childlike nature our well-being, our curiosity. Yeah. The Rebbe speaks about that a lot. Like, it was this funniest thing. I won't forget this. There's a video that I saw of the Rebbe where two parents come up to him. This is in, I'd say, the 80s. You know, they didn't look, like, super religious, but they come like, Rebbe, we need your help. Our kid, he's not being social, and he's not connecting to his friends. We don't know what to do. We need your help. Uh, this and this. And the Rebbe asks, like, how old is your son? He's like, he's two years old. And the Rebbe's like, don't worry. Like, just let him be curious. Just let him be. And so many times we're so like stuck within ourselves, like what's going to be, what's going to happen. And we don't let ourselves be in the present and be curious. And I think that is like the purest state of being curiosity. When we're children, we're always curious, you know, kids, they pick up toys. They, you know, like even when they hit their parents, it's to be curious. It's like, how far can I go with this? They're not doing it because they're evil. They're doing it because they're curious. And so many times we get so stuck up in things that we don't become curious and because we're not curious, we're not being productive. We're not trying to find new ways. We're not trying, we're not even allowing ourselves to be creative. We're not allowing ourselves to be who we are. It's like, so Jung has this theory called circumambulation, which is that your potential presents itself in the things that you are interested in. But if you're not curious to find the things that you're interested in, you won't be able to be yourself. You're going to be so stuck up and dragging the past with you. So what do we do at that point? You know, we just got to like, let go. And that is extremely difficult, way easier said than done. Yeah, but it, it's, it's, it's important to see it because it comes from the, someone's deeper nature. I can't tell you how many times I hear from parents and they might not use these words. They might be a little bit more swift about it sometimes. But they say, oh, my kid's lazy. This doesn't work because he's lazy. So I said, if you really think about it, he's been, he's been looking at sneakers for the last seven hours. He's been researching them online. He spends many hours playing Fortnite. He, he's really not lazy, like the lazy kid bit. He's motivated for something, not what you're putting in front of him. Like, it's just not speaking to him. And going back to relating to a kid from a disposition, from relating to anyone from a, a, a disposition of 
of well-being, a disposition of, of wholeness and really understanding that. So, you know, my kid's lazy, he's lazy. And he's late. I had a Rebbe of mine. He used to say, he used to say, oh, you have a French disease, blase. And he, everyone's motivated for something. Okay. So he's underperforming in school or he's, he's sleeping all day. I always say, I think sleeping's, sleeping's a verb. It's an action. So you're actually doing something. It ends in ING. I like that approach. Yeah. Last week, we actually spoke about bullying. Yeah. And the advice that I gave is focus on the, on the next generation. Like for me, I was bullied personally. And the way that I view it is I want to teach my kids to love because there's not much I could do about my own past because it happened. The one thing I could do for the future is give it over to my kids. And like what you were saying is, is what you say to a child and like how you talk to a child actually matters. Like I remember all my greatest teachers. I remember the moments that I shared with them because it's something that stuck with me when you're a parent, when you're a teacher or something like that, and you're sitting there going, oh, your kid's lazy and you're t saying it to the, to the kid's face. Yeah. There's a solid chance that kid's going to grow up to be absolutely lazy because you told him that. A self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. It, 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 but it's, yeah, I mean, for sure. The, it, see, all that is based on the belief that they're... If not for me, they wouldn't know what to do. If they don't have an internal compass, they don't have an internal GPS, they, they wouldn't know what to do. So he's lazy. I have to fix him. If they understood that, if someone understands, so they'll express that too, because I have to, I got to teach it. And because I don't want them to be lazy. So it's well-intended, but really misguided. If they would see deeper, like they would, their natural wisdom, their natural creativity, their natural insight would kick in and they wouldn't say that. They wouldn't relate to their kid from that point of view, because they really believe it. It's what they feel like. We all yell at our kids once in a while. That's okay. No family no harm. It's expected. But when you really believe that about your kid, so that really adds insult to injury. And, and the mentors are the, the teachers that you had in life that you were saying, like you remember what they said to you. It's because they really believed in you. So now the extra stuff, the things that they said to you, their way of being around you, the way they made you feel, you remember, oh, I felt, I felt really good around them. I, I always say our words make up 6%, I think, of every communication. It's the least part. Like, what's the main thing that people remember? They remember, oh, this guy made me feel good. Yeah. They remember the feeling level. Uh, there's different ways you could speak about this. One is they remember the formless nature of the conversation, not the form. They don't remember the content. Sometimes they, but if you think of the people that really affected you in your life, you don't necessarily remember everything that they told you. You remember this person believed in me. I have a good feeling about them. And on the contrary, the people you don't hear, like, I think I hate that guy. Why? I don't know. He used to smear at me every time. People, yeah, because he made you feel, you remember the feeling. It makes the imprint in the long term of what you really remember. And there's no way to manifest. You can't artificially make that unless that person really believes in you, which goes beyond anything that he's teaching. Unless he really could look at you from that gaze. For sure. Something that you said before about, for example, Labeling a child lazy, like, oh, my child is lazy, but like he's sitting and playing Fortnite for four hours or he's researching a shoe or some National Geographic. So something that I like to do in coaching is I ask people who come and talk to me, like, is this action that you're doing? Are you running away from something or running towards something? Like, yeah, it is. It is an action. You are doing something. You're not necessarily lazy, but are you running away from something or are you, are you running towards something? If you're running away from something, then you'll find something to, to just fill in that gap and not actually be productive, not actually get anywhere. Like, yeah, you're doing something, but is that going to get you anywhere? Is that going to do something? And it's like, no, I'm just trying to avoid something else. So I'm filling in this 
or the other state of being is I'm running towards something. Yeah, like, yes, the past is the past and, and you can call me lazy or not, but I want to actually get somewhere. So every action that I'm going to do is going to be aimed at a greater goal. It's going to be aimed at something way bigger than what I currently am, way bigger than this label of calling me lazy or saying that I'm cuckoo. I believe, I think at least that at the foundation of of well-being, that, that at the foundation of mental health is the ability to tolerate uh, negative emotions or perceive what or perceive negative emotions. Really, no feelings are bad. Right? Really, all right. If Hashem only wanted us to have certain feelings, He would have created only certain type A, and not type B. It's just the value and the judgment that we place in those emotions, which really add insult to injury, sink its teeth into us. And I, I think that's at the foundational well being and a lot of dysfunction at the same time, the inability to do that because, you know, you have a teen or someone who's coming to you and they're playing Fortnite all day or, or whatever it is that they're not lazy for. Uh, a lot of times, depends on the person, but they're using it as a way to distract themselves, just like you're saying, because dealing with their shame, dealing with their guilt, dealing with their sadness, their hurt feelings. If I play video games, I don't have to feel that. It's like, I feel like that's so much of addictions is like person's feeling sad, they're not feeling loved, they're not feeling taken care of. You have 17 year old, 16 year old, 12 year old, it goes young nowadays, unfortunately, but it's there. It, something's very uncomfortable. It's intolerable where they're feeling so insecure. If I could change that. How do, what's a quick fix to get high? What's a quick fix? Watch pornography. I watch pornography. I like to call the greater truth in the line. The greater truth is, is that it changes your feelings. It works. You'll feel cared for, for a minute. The lie is, it's only for a minute. The lie is greater than the greater truth. So then those feelings come back, right? So now you use more, you reach out more, you know, but even that it's funny. So like you're saying, where are you running towards? What are you running from? You're running from that feeling that is so unbearable to you that you're now reaching out to change it. So that's like the, the great misunderstanding of life that all feelings are fine to have. It's that that's like the great misunderstanding, the great illusion, the great lie that you're supposed to be feeling a certain way. What if there's no wrong way to feel? To so feel that feeling and you move on from it. You wouldn't, it, it wouldn't disturb you in the way when you think you're not supposed to be having that. So it's like, it's fascinating. I love this topic. It's a fascinating topic to me. I actually spoke about this in a couple of episodes where I mentioned, and I think the third episode, our guest said, feelings have no morals. Like there's no way you're, there's no way you're supposed to feel. You just feel. The question is, what are you going to do about it now? Where are you going to move forward from it? What are you going to learn about yourself, about these feelings? Sometimes you feel something, you have no idea why. You get anxious around something. And like you can say, oh, I'm anxious. Or you can start saying, okay, wait, why am I anxious? What is my body trying to tell me? Now, there is a book called The Body Keeps a Score. Like the body remembers so much and we suppress so many of our thoughts unconsciously that it's just it's all back there and we're doing things and we're like, why am I doing this? Am I running away from something? Am I running towards something? And that's why I think therapy is extremely helpful. It allows you to understand yourself in order to be productive, not to keep on running away from your past and saying, oh, I am this and therefore I need to understand myself better. I need to find myself. It's not about finding, uh, in my opinion, it's about creating and allowing yourself to create yourself. Yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. If I, if I could, if I could tag something on what you're saying, I definitely agree to you. Like we were saying before about like the person is, if a person is doing all these, doing all these games, however, that dysfunction manifests itself not to deal with their emotional world. I think even deeper than that is that 
really they're doing that. It's it's from their resilience. It's from their innate well-being that they want to feel better. There's something you do deeper within the person that's driving that person to feel better. But they just think if I watch, if if I do whatever it is, I'll feel I'll feel better. But they know something's bothering it's that place of a person's being where they know that they're uncomfortable, but they know they're in a bad place. That itself is a person's innate resilience coming out and and showing its face again to them. It, it, it's funny to say that because it seems like it pushes them further along the addictive path, but or whatever dysfunction we're talking about. But it's a deep sense within a person. I once read a muscle. I read a great muscle. Carl Rogers. I like Carl Rogers. You know, what do you say? I love Carl Rogers. You're right. You're the one who posts all the all those Rogers memes and Young memes. <laughs> yeah. They're great. I love them, by the way. I always enjoy reading them. I like this guy who reads good stuff. I like it. Hey, well, I remember I once read this Marshall and Rogers metaphor. He says, if you put a potato in a dank cellar and there's one little window, one little source of light in the top of the cellar, you'll see over time that potato will grow spores in the direction of the light in order to reach the light. And there'll be maladaptive spores, will be dysfunctional spores. They won't be the prettiest looking spores, but nevertheless, it's seeking light. And so to every individual, we seek our own light. We seek light. We seek life. We seek vitality. We seek well-being. We seek happiness. We seek resilience. And it comes out funny. You know, we get this orders like going up that way. But it comes from a very deep place of, of, of resilience and well-being. And- I actually spoke to him right before the podcast. I called Mati on my way here. And I was telling him that I started just writing down my, my thoughts. And I was going through like my past and all these traumas, all these things that I had. And I was like, I'm a warrior. I, I, I beat this. I, I did it. And I did it myself. And I did it when I thought I couldn't do it. And the craziest thing is, literally, I'm walking down the street. I'm like, I'm seeing a random person. He probably went through something maybe even more insane than I did, or maybe even less insane. But he is a warrior as well. And Mutti's a warrior. And you're a warrior. And like, we all have our past and we all did something to deal with it. And we're continuously dealing with it. We don't know what's expected tomorrow. Yeah, I love what you're saying. It's, it's true, for sure. Everyone nowadays, this is my own opinion. I don't know if it's true or not. I think like the Tekken of the emotional world is like is like the last stop, like the Tekken of Oculus. We live in really good circumstances in life, like, and we all have good lives, basically. Like, we have plumbing, refrigeration, air conditioning, we have microphones. I could talk to you from the other side of the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, we all have, like, most people, well, there are exceptions. Our car has shock stabilizer. So you're bouncing every time you I'm saying, like, it's amazing. Like, we look better than Shlomo Hamelech. We have insulation in our houses. It's funny. I was literally thinking about this last night. I was laying down a bit. I'm like, in the beginning, like, when they founded America, people had wood panels as their house. Today we have know, cement or insulation and, 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 and foundations in the house. And we design our rooms to maximize space. I'm like, people didn't have that 200 years Mati, ago. We also have streets that heat up that just melt the snow for you. Exactly. Like heated driveways in order to be like not to shovel snow, like these small things. I'm like, wow, we are like, I'm so lucky to be living in this beautiful time. Where you're going with that? I don't know. I just had oh, to throw that in. Our emotional world. That's oh. what I was trying to say. Like the circumstances, lives are good, but our emotional world is is the final stop. The 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 tikkun is the fixing of the emotional world. It, it's I don't know. I could be wrong. I mean, this is my own opinion. I didn't see this written anywhere. But 
it seems to me that that people fixing themselves on that level and working themselves on that level is like the last final thing that like we need was that people working on their emotional health, people being creative about their resilience, new ways to look at things. And you just see that even the outpouring of podcasts like like yours, everyone should subscribe, follow. And yeah, the outpouring of these types of things, it never was such a thing ever. And like, it's, it's, this is what we need. This is what people need. People are suffering and it's suffering to give birth again to a better world, to a world of creativity, a world of life, a world of vitality, a world of health. So it's like, this is it. Like, this is, that's what I'm saying. Like the circumstances of our lives are pretty good. Like, all oh, that's fixed. But the other person, that's where we're up to. Like, we're not being persecuted every day. We're a shed. Like, we don't live in those times. And like, again, you go to any supermarkets full of food. We probably live the most affluent times ever. But yet you see there's a deep sense of existential loneliness and meaning, people feeling lack of meaning and suffering, hurting, trauma, sexual abuse, rampant, unfortunately. And, and this is the last thing. This is like the last, like a person coming to inner peace. And then you're, then we're going to wake up and go, oh, it's a ride. As the awareness and the consciousness of the collective masses gets raised, so it all happens through this, like through your podcast. It's like bringing the glue. It's like it's like raising awareness, raising intelligence. It's amazing. Absolutely, you know. And I think this is my personal opinion. I think this is what the Rebbe meant when he said the world is ready for Mashiach. All we have to do is open up our eyes. And people think that like they're just like if the world is ready, all we have to do is just see Mashiach in the world, and then like Mashiach is going to come. And no, I think those are two separate things. Like the world. That it's working. We're creating productivity in the world around us and things like that. Yeah, sure. But we need to open up our eyes to ourselves internally to allow Mashiach to come. That's again, that's, that's my personal humble opinion. Okay, I love that. That's amazing. Right. You mentioned before we're talking about childhood education and stuff like that. In the grief recovery method, we have something called short-term emotional relieving behaviors. One of the things that they mentioned in the book was when you were a kid and you came home from a bad day at school or something happened, your mom would go, oh, you're sad. Here's a cookie. What did that do? That did not show that there was an issue. You didn't validate the issue. You didn't help your child. You just distracted him. And I remember that like affected me really hard when I learned that because I realized all these things like in my childhood, I was like, oh my God, I had a messed up childhood. And I was like, no, I had a pretty normal childhood. And yeah, I had disturbs that I like fell back on all the time. Like I love locking myself in my room and listening to music. I love it. It was always a stir of mine, but I had to create it to be not a stir. I had to create it to be, I'm going to go to my room and listen to music because I want to enjoy the music, not because I'm down, not because I'm unhappy. Not because you're running away from something. Yeah, exactly. As I was going to say, it's like doing it on your own terms as opposed to I'm using this as a vice in order to alter my emotional state. Now, I always like to say like it works sometimes, but like it's important to know that it's it, that it's like I like to play guitar. You know, I play guitar, I play drums. I play bass. I like the Grateful Dead. I love the Dead. They're like, well, Macy, we have Luke. Hey, but they, it's they, funny because uh, it's the most Jewish, not Jewish band. Yeah, Jerry. He was like, he was great, of course. But I always say, little old strings tripping. More around point as it relates to what we're saying. Like you could listen to music, you could play guitar. It doesn't always quiet your mind. Maybe eight out of ten times it does. Maybe nine out of ten times it does. But it doesn't always work. And then what happens is a person is, well, why is it not working? That's deep breathing technique not helping me. It's supposed to be working. And what people need to realize, again, if it helps, good. Like, 
mostly I play guitar. I feel calm after I, I enjoy it. It's something I naturally gravitate. And, but it's, it's important to know that that quietness isn't coming from the guitar. That mental quietness is not coming from the music because there are times you'll listen and it won't work. So it's important to see that that mental quietness is coming from within you. It's not coming from without. And when a person begins to realize that that's happening anyways, it's very natural to start moving away from the vices and the things and, and engaging in things because you want to. You don't have to listen to people dead in order to feel quiet and go and put my earbuds in my room and, or sit down and play guitar. This is really going to settle my mind. It's just, I enjoy doing it, so I do it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not looking to get that effect. I could do it because I, it's something I like. Yeah. It's actually funny because when I was listening to music to run away from stuff, I would listen to stuff like Black Sabbath, Metallica. Now that I'm like in a different place, I mean, I do appreciate Black Sabbath and Metallica still, but like now I listen to like the Grateful Dead because I just love chilling. I love like, I love their live performances also. Like the way they just sit there and jam out, it's such a different like appreciation. And I also see that with my life. Like I used to be so filled with rage, such anger. Like I don't even know towards what. Certain times I would just be like, I'm pissed. I don't know if it's because my mom said, clean my room or it's because my teacher said I did bad on a test, but I was filled with rage. Now it's like, it is so different. It just, it is. I can't listen to angry music anymore either. I used to love Pantera and Sepultura and like Big Barrel and all these guys. I, I, I just can't. Like I, the only thing I like to listen to is the guy Corey Wong is like a punk guitar player and they like the dead. Like I can't listen to anything that I feel doesn't harmonize with me. And it's just going against the green. It's like uh, everyone has to channel their inner deadhead, that groove, that being in the moment. That I call that, it my inner Jerry. Your inner Jerry. Yeah. Have, yeah. There's this punk guitar player called Corey Wan who, who plays for this band Wolfpack. Who, mind you, the bass is Jewish and this one's Jewish. And, you know, they're, they're Jewish. And uh, it just resonates. I can't listen to anything angry. Or like, I barely ever watch Netflix or any of that stuff. I mean, I always say I aspire to. I wish I had more time. But like, sometimes I look at like what my wife's watching. I'm like, like, how do you watch this stuff? Like, I can only watch comedy, like no drama, no action. Like only something that's lighthearted, no romance, like everyday life, like working with people is too much. I just can't do it. It's like, why would I like rehear things? Like, I feel you. <laughs> but back to what you were saying before about the music. And I completely agree with it. We had a couple of musicians on the podcast, which was amazing. And we spoke about this, that people do use, for example, stirps to try to connect to something try to resonate with something so in israel it's very popular to listen to like depressing music like more sad music and and it's like a whole genre for them in israel and because they resonate with that but you can use it as a stirp as saying like okay i'm trying to run away from my sadness and here's something that validates me or i could say like okay now i'm using this music to allow me to articulate what i'm feeling instead of just suppressing it in and saying oh this depressing music makes me feel good because i know like like it gets me, but do you get yourself through that? Do you like even through playing guitar? It's not the music that's going to make you feel better, but rather it's another possibility that allows you to reveal something within. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. I had a client that what we used to do for a bunch of sessions. He, he loved AJR and also a bunch he, of Jews, by yeah, the way. And he said, I never heard of AJR until then. And he would come into session, he'd put the thing on the YouTube with the words, and we'd sit and say, Shy, you have to listen to this. So you listen to it one time through. Then after, we used to revisit it with the lyrics. We'd go line by line and hit the pause. What does this mean? What does that mean? And I had another client who really liked a uh, Travis Scott who's in the news now. Again, I honestly, I never 
heard of these people until they come in. Like, I'm fine with the Grateful Dead. And they came in with Travis Scott. And he used to sit there listening, like, so profoundly. And, like, you see, they're able to give voice. You know, I'm not a Travis Scott fan, giving a disclaimer here. But at the end of the day, they're able to give voice to an inner pain, an inner sense that other people can't. So you have these people talking about these massive archetypes, these massive themes, these massive things. And that's why that's one of the reasons why they're so big, because there's so many people that they're able to give voice to that couldn't do it without their music. And that's the art form. Yeah, it's the art form. It's the artist's creativity. Yeah, it's It's the artist's creativity. Yeah, I actually have this with Led Zeppelin has the famous song Stairway to Heaven. I'm a huge Zeppelin fan. And in the song says, sometimes all of your thoughts are misgiven. That's right in Stairway to Heaven. And I always love that line. Like, I remember I would like go back like three seconds just to rehear that line because like we have so much thoughts in our head on a day-to-day basis and not all of them are 100% accurate. Like we're talking about like relating to music. When I was listening to that song, that line always hit me. And then a few years later, like in the current moment, the word, the line that hits me is to be a rock and not a roll. Mm. And I, I feel that within my life. Like I would always try to be a rock for my friends. Like no matter what happened, I would always be the strong, caring person. And after a certain amount of time of doing that, I literally broke and I had to like train myself that you don't have to be a rock. You have to be a role. You got to roll with the times. You got to be with your friends. You got to just join them in their sadness sometimes because that's what they need more than you being strong for them. Yeah. You were saying before about the line about our thoughts. The average person has 60 to 100,000 different thoughts a day. I have a client that say, Shai, I have 200,000 thoughts a day. I'm like, you, you have 300,000 thoughts a day. And it's important to see that, you know, the way I look at this, that like all our feelings are true. First of all, our, our emotional world is a product of our mind. It's, it's a product of thought. I mean, to me, that's a given. That's like, oh, it's like you can't drive a car without gasoline. You can't have feeling with thought behind it. But what people don't really appreciate, and this is the problem with the word thought, is that they don't appreciate thought is all encompassing. It's not just like the cognition in your brain, like beep, like electrons and neutrons. Thought really encompasses our, our entire belief system, our entire emotional world, our entire psychopathology, our entire everything. And people don't really see this because, well, well, I think something, but I feel something else. Certainly there could be a gap between our intellectual mind and our emotional mind for sure. But there's a word I like to use. My own form. It's a new word. I had to invent a new word. I invent this word. Thought plus feelings equals feelings. Feelings? Feelings. Thought plus feelings equals feelings. Because thought is the product. All feelings originate in the mind. All feelings are born from the mind. Sometimes even unconsciously. For sure. Thought, the, the mind, thinks through subconscious and subconscious thought as well. But when you see it as rooted in thought, it becomes a lot easier to deal with. Because one, this starts to become a logic to why it is you feel the way you do at different times because you're driving in the car if i used to have me driving in the car one minute you feel really depressed and the next minute you kind of feel okay so you say well what happened what's wrong with me why am i fluctuating so much in my emotional weather which leads to more confusion for a person so when you introduce that feelings are are originally and rooted in the mind now your mind shifts shift a lot of thoughts so it's very natural for a person to go in and out of emotional states in that way. So it doesn't mean anything's wrong per se. And the second thing is it becomes a lot easier for a person to now be what we started with talking about being curious about their emotions, being curious about curious about your emotional world. When you see that you're that when you just work with a premise that 
your, our emotional world's rooted in our minds. So now it becomes a lot easier and less scary to be curious about your emotional world. Mm-hmm. So I call this advanced human evolution. When you're curious about your emotions, so then you're able to really advance and gain more insights and be, again, not, not scared of whatever it is that you're up against or whatever it is that you're feeling. You don't have to run, running, coming, going, running, returning. Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to run because you understand it's, it's, it's rooted in the mind. It's a, it's a product of the mind. That's true. You know, it's also the concept that we have in Chassidus. It's mayach shalit that the mind controls the heart. It's not necessarily that it controls the heart, but it like sort of rules the heart. And all of our thoughts come from association. That's the way we understand things. And through that, it manifests into feelings. And I think it's, it's so interesting how biologically we are created, because if not for our feelings manifested by our thoughts, we wouldn't necessarily even receive those signals to understand what is good, what is bad, and what is this. And we have those feelings that allow us to understand ourselves more. And that's the beauty of humanity and the way we were created by God. It's just, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. We're wired to go in and out of healing states. And it's not due to our chisora and our lack. People think if I was strong enough, or if I was more capable, or if I was more focused, if I was more intense, or if I was more dedicated, then I could manifest certain feelings in myself. And it's simply not true. It's simply against the rules of creation. I mean, we were not created at the, the rules of humanity is that we were created by design to go in and out of emotional states. And it's not due to a lack or a lack of will, a, a, a lack in your own art. So a person thinks, if only I was more spiritual, then I'd always be on a certain state. It's not true. Where at the bedrock of human experience, we go in and out of life. The, the, the Torah way to say this is that we're wired to have you read this in a leaf. We're wired to go up and down. It's not due to a lack in our own building. Rabbi Nachman said that uh, you have to be a, a Bucky Baratza, Bucky Bishav, an expert in running and returning. Meaning to say, he, he was speaking to this point of all feelings welcome. We naturally go at in and out of emotions. You need to be an expert in, your, in the entire gamut of emotional spectrum. And uh, obviously, you read this in English, they're not things that happen outside of ourselves. They're, by and large, we're saying our internal world, which is the final, the final stop. So like, the more a person learns to embrace an emotional weather, I call it dancing in the rain. Be okay no matter what the weather. Because this is linked to what we're saying, that like, you don't know what you're going to think of next. Like, there's no way. Like, can you think up what you're going to think of next? No, it's impossible. You don't know. We, I could set my alarm for an hour now to think about my mom, and I won't even know what types of thoughts about my mom I'll think about. Because we don't have that level of control over our mind's eye. So it's like, this allows a person to dance in the rain. allows a person to... When you understand that all emotions are safe and they're rooted in the mind, the universe is a friendly place, and that you're innately whole, it's all tied together. When you understand that you're wired for resilience, you're wisdom wired. So now you could have any feeling in the world and you can be okay with it. You could, they're only constructs that we made up that this is bad and this is good, but there's a harmony. You understand that you have the power of the universe behind you. That the, the universe is a friendly place. There's, there's a deeper order and a deeper intelligence behind life that is constantly feeding us. So your emotional world now becomes safe. This is, Kassida spoke about this in many different ways. The Chiyas Hapanimi, or the Seich Bukhodavar, the intelligence behind lines. There's so many different ways to say this because it's, it, it's just pointing to a universal truth. Like we have the power of Mother Nature behind us. Like we're not separate from creation. We're a part of creation itself. It's a total shift. Because why am I so lonely? Why am I so depressed? What's wrong with me? The answer is nothing. You're not, you're not separate. There are 8 billion people on earth. 
and this is something other people experience, it's not 8 billion people minus one. You're not an exception to the rule of creation, sorry. I mean, people don't like behaving, you have to et cetera, et cetera, but you're relating to them from that disposition. You need to understand that yourself. Like you need to to be that yourself. You need to change you want to see. Before we wind down the episode, um, I actually did have one question I wanted to ask. You mentioned that you have a dual master's, one in education and one in social work. You mentioned how you got into it, but you, you didn't mention that you had to go to school again. <laughs> how was yeah. that like mentally for you? Because I know that just college is stressful. It's really stressful. And especially getting a dual master's, it's you're accepting to go on through more of that stress that you just finished. So I actually did the first master's in education, and I actually did that prior to going back to school. That I did like right before I was married. There was like a year long course. It was like an accelerated master's program that I did. And I figured, I had a friend of mine. He was like, Shia, we should really do this together. He's like, it's a good thing. And it turned out to be a good thing. I didn't realize how much it would help me out uh, in the future and how much I learned from it. When I went for my master's in social work, I had just moved back from Israel, had kids, and I was living in my in-laws house for a year. I think that could be a separate podcast episode. <laughs> it wasn't really so bad. I was catching a lot then, but it really wasn't so bad. And I was working full-time. I worked in this place in Queens called the center. It was like from like six o'clock to like 11 o'clock every night, five o'clock to 11 o'clock every night. It was like a drop-in center for kids. Oh, a pool table, ping pong. That was really fun. And I was in school full-time. And I also worked in another place called the Bukharian Tealand. I mean, I'm going back a lot of years already. And that was like a drop-in center in like on 108th Street or something like that in Forest Hills. That was also an interesting experience, but it was busy. It was definitely a busy point. I mean, it's still very busy, but they say a story about Reb Nussin of Wrestles that Reb Nussin, Reb main student, and I, I, I feel this way at two things. One, Reb Nussin used to say, even a small guy can make a big fire. Small guy can make a big fire. Like, I love that. I find a lot of encouragement and hope in that. And the second thing is, he used to say, he wrote a tremendous amount in his lifetime. And he used to say, I didn't have a name. I didn't have a shame like the gem's name to write. But I minded my time. That's what he would say. I minded my time. And if you mind your time, little by little, like I did this not daily thing. I have over 3,000 subscribers. Work Shen, it was a big undertaking. I remember like at one point, like in between sessions, I was like preparing for it. Like I, I was so strapped for time. They say this story about the Tzemach Tzedek, I think the Nath Rebbe, that the Nath Rebbe was in his office and he kept hearing a bang on the back of the wall. And then he went outside and he saw what was the bang. He saw that his son, I think it was the Tzemach Tzedek, am I right? His grandson, was oh, his grandson was running. There was like a platform in the back that he was running to the top. And every time he made it to the top of this platform that was angled on a slant, he hit the wall saying, I made it. So that I think the author Rebbe was looking at him and his friend kept falling off. So he asked his grandson, how are you able to make it to the top? So he said, the difference between me and that other boy is that he makes it halfway and he looks to the right, he looks to the left, he falls off. He gets scared of the height. Because I'm so focused on destination. I'm so focused on the wall of the goal. You have a certain clarity and that just pulls you. You have clear vision, clear mind, clear vision of what is it that you want to do? What's your mission? What's your purpose? What are you here for? What do you enjoy? What's meaningful to you? And you live with that. And that pulls, pulls you. I love that. So as we end our episode, we like to ask all of our guests who join us on the podcast a few questions. And we start with, if you were interviewing yourself right now, what question would you ask yourself and what would you answer? Pretty intense question. That's why we ask it. What would I ask myself? What would I ask myself? I really know. It's hitting a deep place. I'm not sure. I would share what came up, but nothing's really coming up other than a profound quietness. Profound quietness is coming up. 
think about it. If there was one thing you could share with the world and we would have to ask you, so to say, what would that question be that you would want us to ask you that you could? Okay. I did. I, I get what you're asking now. Or even more so, before we record this podcast, what questions do you imagine that we would ask you so that you could? I wasn't sure you were going to ask me. That's the truth. I figured it would be actually kind of how it unfolded. That's mm. what I figured. Oh, wow. There's one thing I would tell the world. There's one thing I would tell the world. You are okay. You're fine. You have innate well-being. You have wholeness. You have goodness. You have resilience. You have bracha. You have wellness. You have an ashama. You have consciousness. You have awareness. You have that. You don't need to go anyplace else. No one has the answers. Every single thing you need in life is behind you. We're wired with everything we need to make it through life. No exceptions. It's just a gift. We're gifted with it. It's a gift to mankind that we're granted this gift and we're wired to make it through life. We're all innately well, innately whole. We don't, we don't feel that way at times. We get bent out of shape, but we need to realize our, our, our deeper nature, our inner resilience, our wisdom, and we have everything in life we need to make it through. Wow, I love that. That's powerful. I needed to hear that actually. That was really good, thank you. I feel that way, not just words. I, I, I really feel that way. I feel that in my heart of hearts. I think that was the advice. I think we just got two questions, two birds with one. So the second question that we usually ask is what advice would you give to everyone listening? But I think we got that unless you want to share something else, like more. Like, no, 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 advice? please share something else. Yeah, I exactly. love this. Okay, yeah. Please so, share something else. How is, let me try to rephrase the question. Another question that we'd like to ask all of our guests is, what advice would you give to everyone who's listening to this podcast? Trust yourself. Go easy on yourself. Believe in your goodness. Don't be so quick to dismiss it. You're fine the way you are. There's nothing more or less you need in life. You're good. You got it. You're there. You're the man. You're the woman. I don't know who's listening. You're great. There's nothing outside of yourself that you need to do or to attain to make you a better person. We're all gifted. And you're not an exception. You have it. It's not based on our action. It's not based on what happened to us. It's not based on our intelligence. It's not based on our misdeeds. It's, it's, it's impersonal. It has, our, our well-being and resilience has nothing to do with us. It's baked into the cake. It's a fact. It's just there. And again, there's, we have everything we need to make it through life. We're wired that way. It's implanted in us. We can't change that. I wish we could. I wish we could. Yeah, if, if we were able to, so say, oh, yeah, definitely. You're messed up. But... We have, you don't need to go running and running and running and running, figure everything out. Like we're being chased by a shadow of our mind. We don't need that. We have everything. We have everything. And if you could recommend three books to all of our listeners, what are they and why? This goes without saying your book, obviously, which is coming out soon. Coming right? out soon. I wrote a book on parenting. Hopefully it will be finished. It's called uh, Resilient Parents, Resilient Children, and No Technique Approach. As of now, the name could change, but three books I would recommend. There's one book called The Enlightened Gardener written by Sydney Banks. It's a storybook written about these mental health professionals go on a conference and they meet an enlightened gardener, the gardener, the caretaker of the hotel that they're staying in is a very wise man. And they have a dialogue with each other. Very interesting book. That book made very, impacted me very deeply. There's another book that impacted me very deeply in the work that I do from Dr. John Sarno. A lot of people know. Dr. John Sarno, Mind-Body Connection, his work, his writing on explaining Freudian theory in a way that actually made sense to me was invaluable. I know it's a little bit of a different topic we're talking about, but it's really all the same thing, how chronic pain comes from repressed emotions, and that's our bodies 
that's our, what I would call our innate well-being, that we have this natural alarm system and we don't have to be scared of what we feel. All feelings welcome. And the third book, I'm looking back over here. There's a book that, there's a book that I think is extremely fundamental. Again, a, a book that everyone's heard of, but a lot of people haven't read it still. And it's just a very fundamental book. It's uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, believe it or not. Believe it or not, that book, I think, contains a lot of the fundamentals of well-being and health. It's a little bit technical. It's not like a flowery spiritual read. It's very practical and down to earth, but it's very good. It's just wisdom. And I think that book also had a very profound impact on I, just how I see life and things like that. It's actually funny. I thought you were going to go with The Alchemist or... Um... Dale Carnegie's um, How to Win Friends, Influence People. That's how it, win friends and influence that, people. That's how it sounded. You were leading up to it. The way you lead up, you're like, oh, it's a basic book that a lot of people I'm like, it has to be one of those two. I never read The Alchemist, actually. Maybe I'll... That's, mm. Honestly, I, I kind of love that. And it, I think it has... It's like a story also. So mm. it's nice. I have this book on my desk, Wisdom Within. This is a good book. By Roger Mills and Elsie Spittle. It's about harnessing your own wisdom. I personally gravitate more towards psycho-spiritual models and things like that. And that's has to, as you heard, like has to do with wisdom and universal friendly place. And that really, to me, that really resonates. But the truth is one. So like, well, once you see the truth, like you see that everywhere. So it's like, we have one looking glass for life. And when we look through life through those lenses, that's what we see. So like, I'll find that in anything. I'll read it. I'm like, oh my God, look what they're talking about. Everyone has that. For their own stuff. All right. So the last part of the podcast is I ask five rapid questions. Just say the first thing that comes to your head. Not that much thought into it. Okay. All right. First up, what's your favorite thing about Israel? People. What line do you most use in therapy? What do I find myself? I find myself saying I'm so proud of you. It's good. And what's your favorite tip? My favorite tip? Dip. Dip. Oh, dip. Harip. Harip guy all the way. The green scope. Oh, yeah. What is your most memorable memory of a homeless person in your home when you were a kid? There's so many memories. One time I came home and I was sitting there watching TV on the couch. And all of a sudden I turned around and there was a woman lurking. Like, I was like, oh my God, like I jumped. I was like, I had a guy in my house. He was so big. He sat on an upholstered couch and the entire arm would get ripped off of it. He grew up in a Catholic guardian group home, which he was court mandated to down the block from my house. Somehow he made it to my house. And he slowly moved himself in and he would get so angry. He grew up in group homes his whole life. So he had no understanding of anything. He would get so angry. He's like, shy, you're making me angry. Tick, 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 door, whip, right off the hinges. Well, uh, my parents threw out this bag lady stuff. And again, she, her, she came back. Everything was all over the curb for the trip, for the guy. She had a total breakdown. That's my stuff. My stuff. You know, it was like, they used to come down and talk bad about each other. And they weren't all Jewish. Some were Jewish, some were in. He used to come out, yeah, that one, she's real crazy. All right. And the last and final question, you do so many amazing things. How did you find the proper balance between all? I find it's, I'm always working on a balance of retreat and being, meaning to say, I, I find for myself, I need, a, I need a decent amount of time of isolation, but I also need to be able to do my thing and be, and be with people and do that. So I'm, especially now that I moved, so my whole schedule got flipped upside down and readjusting to everything here, seeing clients at night, every night, Zoom. And I'm always looking for that balance of, of solitude and retreat and to develop myself and my own inner character and my own world. And as well to, you know, produce, be with other people, do my thing. So definitely always looking, looking at that. That's very important for me, actually. Nice.
Shia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing everything you shared. Thank you for just being you. You're an amazing person. Thank you. Thank you, guys. First of all, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, guys. Yeah. You can find Shia on Instagram at Shia underscore Sussman underscore LCSW. LCSW. And yeah, seriously, just thank you for being here. It was really, no you I was super my excited. Website, about my website, ShiaSussman.com. And I'm on YouTube, uh, Shia Sussman Counseling. Hit that subscribe, push that like. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be coming out soon. Amir Tashem, I have a year and a half of filming of the footage of us making Aliyah. And the uh, first Aliyah vlog is going to be coming out, hopefully right in the beginning of January. I'm finally now able to sit down and edit some of it. So uh, stay tuned for that. And I'm looking forward, hopefully it'll inspire people, connect them to the land. And that's it. That's awesome. awesome. Thank you so much, Shia. This, this is awesome. Thank you guys. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm like, I never did like an official podcast before. And I appreciate you guys reaching out to me. So thank you. Well, it will be out Friday morning. You'll actually be up by the time it comes out. We're normally sleeping. We do it at 12. Stay tuned. Peace and love everyone. Oh yeah. It's awesome. That was amazing. All right. Thank you so much, bro.